Lethal Heritage by Michael A. Stackpole Chapter 8 Sector 313 Alpha Sisyphus's Lament The Rock System Oberon Confederation 13th August, 3049 Hound to hound leader, I have positive contact. Phelan punched an increase in magnification into the computer of his wolfhound. Kenny Ryan might think he's a chip off the old block, but we'll put an end to that lie right now. Lieutenant Jackson Tang answered immediately. Copy that, Deuce. Is this confirmed? Affirmative, leader. Damn it, Jack. I know the amount of iron in this rock has been playing hob with our sensors. I have a viz light image at 1,000 mag. I mark one locust and one griffin at a click. Their gold paint scheme and red insignia stand out against the rocks. Want me to count pores on the pilots for you? The tone of Tang's reply was apologetic. Negative, Deuce. Good work. I've got your position. We'll be working our way up. Phelan glanced at his auxiliary monitor, where the computer displayed a diagram of the star system for a millimeter in radius around his position. Up near the top of the display, Phelan saw the icon representing the jump ship Cucumulus, but it was only shown at half-intensity green. That meant the asteroids between Sisyphus's Lament and the ship prevented communication between it and Tang's lens of 4 mechs. Likewise, the half-intensity red icon used to mark the last known position of Captain Wilson and the company's other two lances meant those other mechs were incommunicado. Hound leader, do I sit put until we establish a comm link with the base, or do I move in? I have cover out another 500 meters. Phelan punched up a data feed and had the computer relay it to Jack Tang's blackjack. Hold on, Deuce. The data feed is coming across fuzzy. Let's try to stick together on this. Don't want you jumped like you were back on Gunsberg. I'm one ridge behind you. Trey and Cat are coming up to your left. The young mercenary frowned. I guess I deserve that. Roger, leader. Phelan wiped his sweaty palms against the ballistic cloth covering of his cooling vest. His right hand brushed the cool metal of the belt buckle Tyra had given him. He smiled and adjusted the Mauser and gray M43 needler pistol on his right thigh. He knew that if his cockpit module were breached, this cold rock had just enough of an oxygen atmosphere to rust the rocks and let him freeze to death if no help came. Even if I could draw the pistol with frozen fingers, it wouldn't do me any good. Somehow, though, it is comforting to wear it. It must be the superstition of routine that makes me feel that way. Strapping the thing on is the only normal piece of this whole operation. The Cucumulus had arrived in the rock system at a pirate jump point. Because of the massive gravitational forces and subsequent warping of space around stars, jump ships were limited to entering star systems at a safe distance. Safe being dependent on the size and energy level of the star. Most jump ships appeared at the apex or nadir jump points located directly above or below the stellar poles, because those were the most efficient places to unfurl the ship's solar collectors to recharge the Kearney Fuchita jump drive. While the jump ship recharged, the dropships made the long journey in system from the jump point. Pirate points were jump points a safe distance from the sun, but calculated to be on or near the star's orbital plane. This placed the jump ship much closer to a system's planets, but also put the ship at much greater risk during the jump. Pirate points had to be calculated exactly because of the increased amount of matter located in and around the planets. In a system consisting mostly of asteroids, like the rock system, 
a jump ship captain had to be a genius or crazy to bring his vessel in at a pirate jump point. Janos Vandermeer, captain of the Cucumulus, could qualify as either. He brought the Q in close to the largest asteroid. Known as the Rock, it had given its name to the whole system. It had an atmosphere that made it habitable, and aside from the need to harvest water from the ice balls floating in the asteroid belt, it was supposed to be a pleasant place. Kenny Ryan's pirates had just begun to use it as a base, and the Kelhounds hoped to catch them by surprise by bringing the Q in close. When the ship appeared in system, the initial scans picked up no communications at all from the rock. Vandermeer had ordered an immediate scan of the surrounding area, and got snippets of radio contacts from several sites in the asteroid belt. Captain Wilson deployed her forces and slowly began a sweep of the asteroids best suited to supporting a pirate band's secret haven. And we got Sisyphus's lament. After five hours of humping up and down these iron mountains, thank God we got something. Phelan glanced sourly at his display, then punched up another increase in magnification. Holy mother of God, Jack. I mean, hound leader. Ryan's folks are running from something. I have definite visuals on lasers going in and out and something I mark as long-range missile fire incoming. Over across the valley, Phelan saw a small, bird-like locust ducking and dodging between reddish mounds of rock. The awkwardness of its gait was accentuated by the large hops the asteroid's lighter gravity allowed it. Missiles arced up and over the hills behind it, peppering the whole area around the fleeing mech with explosions. Staggered barrages herded the locust diagonally across the hillside, then another mech appeared in a narrow pass between two bluffs. Phelan frowned heavily as the computer sharpened and tried to label the image of the new mech. Confused, the computer identified the mech first as a catapult, then almost immediately reclassified it as a marauder. It's got that hunched-over torso with the bird legs common to both designs, all right. And it's got the catapult's wing-mounted LRM launchers, but it also has the Marauder's weapon pods. And I've never seen that flat gray color scheme before, either. Who and what the hell is it? The unidentified mech jabbed both blocky pods at the Locust, sending out twin ruby lasers to skewer the Locust's right flank. The first beam melted the armor from the Locust's torso, making it drip steaming to the asteroid surface, while exposing the mech's skeleton and internal structures. The second beam stabbed through the hole the first had made. Its fiery touch ignited the machine gun ammo stored in the mech's chest, then destroyed the Locus's gyro stabilizers. As the light mech's right side sagged in on itself, the mech stumbled and rolled down the hillside. Its headlong spill ended with a jarring collision against a huge iron boulder the color of dried blood. Three more of Ryan's bandit mechs broke from cover and tried to rush across the valley toward Phelan's hidden watch position. Two of them, the humanoid griffin he'd seen earlier and another humanoid mech, a panther, darted from cover to cover. Both pilots used their mech's jump jets to quickly cross areas strewn with rocks too small for cover but large enough to slow their sprint speed. Bringing up the rear came another humanoid mech. Instead of arms, it sprouted twin-barreled weapon pods. Larger than either the griffin or panther, and without jump jets, it moved more slowly than either of its compatriots. Phelan sensed the pilot's panic as he guided the rifleman down the hillside and discovered he'd boxed himself in. Hound leader, continue your present heading to make the plane. We've got help trapping the rats. Confusion rang through Jack's voice. Who? What? 
Phelan shrugged and moved from cover. I can't identify our help, but they're on the ridge a kilometer off, driving Ryan toward us. Tang laughed lightly. <laughs> enemy of my enemy is my friend. Phelan saw Tang's black and red blackjack appear down on the edge of the plane. Tang's barrel-chested humanoid mech had arms that ended in the autocannon muzzles, with the muzzle of a medium laser riding piggyback on the outside of the forearm. The scout lance leader wove his mech through the dolman at the nearest edge of the plane, closing on Ryan's mechs without being seen. Opposite Tang's position, two more strange-looking mechs entered the battlefield. Phelan's computer again vacillated in assigning a label to the new machines. It's calling them Warhammers because of the chassis type, but the addition of Marauder-type arms instead of the particle projection cannons is giving it fits. Both mechs moved in on the trapped rifleman. Ryan's Griffin turned its attention to Tang's approaching blackjack. Phelan tight-beamed a warning to his lieutenant, then brought his mech around from behind the outcropping he'd been using for cover. Opening a wide-beam broadcast, he snapped a challenge to the pirate captain. Over here, you excuse for retroactive birth control. We're the ones you said would never get you. Move it. Let's prove natural selection was correct. The griffin reoriented itself toward him. Then Phelan saw it freeze for a moment. The wolfhound Phelan piloted had a humanoid form and walked upright, but its unusual silhouette gave most enemy pilots reason to pause. Its right wrist ended in the muzzle of a large laser and three medium laser ports dotted its scarlet chest in a triangular pattern. Most startling, however, was the mech's head and cockpit assembly, whose design accented and heightened the implied threat of the wolfhound's lean deadliness. The head had been crafted for both image and function. Its jutting muzzle and twin viewports combined with the upthrust triangular sensor panels on either side to give the wolfhound a canine appearance. Phelan had taken the image one step further, and painted the mech's muzzle to appear that the war machine was bearing white fangs in a fierce snarl. Aluminum strips inlaid between the paint job outlined the teeth so that the mech's wolfish grin appeared even on mag-scan and infrared sensor modes. Phelan started his mech down the hillside as Tang's blackjack broke from cover and raised both its arms. The mech's twin autocannons fired salvos at the pirate panther. Phelan's computer marked the distance between the blackjack and the panther as 800 meters, putting the shot at the extreme edge of Tang's effective range. Despite the difficulty, Tang hit with one of his two shots, pulverizing armor plates over the panther's heart. Picking up speed, Phelan worked his way through the debris scattered over the plane's near side. As he saw it, Ryan seemed more intent on running from the mechs pursuing him than evading the Kelhounds. It's his funeral. With each jump, the griffin came closer and closer to Phelan. As the range dropped to 600 meters, Phelan brought his mech to a stop and crouched behind the last house-sized boulder between him and the smooth valley floor. One more jump in your mind. 500 meters may top out my range on this large laser, but if Jack can hit at max, so can I. Come on, Kenny Ryan, let's get it over with. Phelan's right hand moved the joystick that dropped the golden crosshairs onto the griffin's broad chest. A dot in the center of the cross flashed red. Phelan hit the firing stud beneath his right thumb and felt a wave of heat wash through the cockpit as the large laser unleashed its beam of coherent light. The coruscating beam stabbed into the griffin's left shoulder, blasting away steaming shards of half-melted ceramic armor. As though unsatisfied with the armor it had destroyed, 
The beam's terrible energy cut through the Mayamer muscles on the mech's upper arm, which split like hunks of meat being torn to pieces by some beast. Lastly, the beams heated the ferro-titanium humerus to the point where it glowed white, further melting Mayamer muscles. Ryan hit his jump jets at the last second, but it did nothing to mitigate the damage. The abrupt takeoff wrenched the damaged arm badly, snapping the metal bone and sending the severed limb flying. Suddenly unbalanced, the griffin reeled like a drunken acrobat and slammed into the ground on its right shoulder. The jump jets pushed the one-armed mech across the plane, leaving sparks and armor plates in its wake until Ryan finally shut them down. Phelan stared at the griffin's wreckage. My large laser shouldn't have done that much damage. Those other guys must have really softened them up. Phelan shifted his vision to the panther Tang was sparring with. Yeah, it's been hit all over, but most of the damage has been done to the legs and arms. A cold chill ran down his spine as Phelan realized the griffin and the rifleman had been similarly savaged. Either those other guys are very unlucky, or they're placing shots with greater care than almost any mech warrior this side of Jamie Wolf or my father. As if they had read his thoughts, the three unknown mechs moved in. The one that had brought the locust down came to a stop just over 900 meters from the panther and brought both pods up. Twin large laser beams flashed out and caught the panther in the back of its thighs. What little armor still remained on the pirate mech's legs vanished in a cloud of ceramic steam. Myomer muscles ran like water and boiled away where they touched the titomagnesium femurs that held the panther upright. The lasers amputated the panther's legs with surgical precision. Its legs cut out from under it, the panther smashed flat on its back and did not move as the dust stirred up by its fall quickly drifted down to coat it with a red blanket. Blake's blood! Did you see that, Phelan? A tremble in Jack Tang's normally calm voice betrayed his unease. Phelan stared at the computer projection of the range and damage done to the panther. Seven hundred meters for a large laser? That's impossible! They can only hit it four fifty max! He hit a button that opened a tight channel between him and Hound Leader. I don't like this, Jack. Keep Trey and Cat out of this. Jesus Christ Almighty, look at what they've done to the riflemen! The twin mechs moving in on the last operational pirate machine simultaneously let fly with short-range missile barrages and bursts from their dual autocannons. The missiles covered the trapped riflemen with explosions. The blasts staggered the machine and opened cratered wounds in its armor which oozed melted metal. The pilot, fighting for control, somehow managed to keep the rifleman on its broad, flat feet. Phelan suddenly found himself hoping for the impossible, that the rifleman could win out. The gray mechs it faced did not give the pirate a chance. Sparks lanced from the barrels of his guns as one of the pilots walked his autocannon fire along them and into the rifleman's right shoulder. Armor flew in a blizzard from the damaged limb. Then an explosion flipped the arm up and out. It cartwheeled through the air, bouncing off several rocks before it crashed to the ground. The second mystery mech raked one stream of autocannon shells across the rifleman's belly. The projectiles ripped jagged scars in the mech's armored flesh, while the other autocannon's destructive fire gnawed away at the rifleman's already mauled left shoulder. It sliced through the remaining armor and drive mechanisms with the ease of a razor carving flesh. The mech's left arm lurched, then dropped toward the ground only to be jerked to a halt by useless drive chains and belted links of autocannon ammo. Swinging slowly back and forth, 
The arm dangled like an ornament, mocking the rifleman's once formidable destructive capabilities. Hound deuce, I'm going to hail these guys. I'll offer them the salvage on these mechs. Maybe they'll give us Kenny to take back and collect our pay. Fear boiled up from Phelan's gut. Jack, don't. Get the hell out of here. He started running the wolfhound forward. Move it, Jack. They're up to something. Get back here, Phelan. That's an order. Anger rippled through Tang's voice. Damn it, follow my orders just for once. And let you die? No way. Move it, Jack. Jump out of there. The two mechs that had dusted the riflemen locked their weapons down on the blackjack in the plain below them. As they triggered their burst, the rifleman shot at both of them with its torso-mounted medium lasers. At the same time, Tang hit his jump jets, sending his mech into the thin atmosphere on silvery ion jets. The rifleman's attacks caught the mystery mechs by surprise, spoiling their aim somewhat. Still, despite the distraction, the range, and Tang's jump, one of the pilots managed to hit with both autocannon shots. The depleted uranium slugs zipped up the back of the blackjack's left leg. Its armor peeled off and fell away as if it were diaphanous silk instead of tons of ceramic armor. A silver spray of ion shot out at the back of the blackjack's thigh, starting the mech into a slow spin. Feather the right jet, Jack! This rock's light gravity and thin air mean you can go further! Get clear! He'll make it if that other mech doesn't take a shot at him. Bursting into the open, Phelan turned toward the first gray mech he had seen. He brought the wolfhound's large laser up and triggered a shot. But being beyond his maximum effective range, the shot did nothing. The first gray mech launched two flights of LRMs at the slowly spinning blackjack. Moving at ten times the damaged mech's speed, the lethal rocket slammed into it mercilessly. Explosions wreathed both legs in golden-red flame. Then a silver corona ripped the fireball in half. As the brilliant light of uncontrolled jump jets vanished, taking the blackjack's legs with it, the airborne mech's arms flailed helplessly to counter the backward somersault the missiles had given it. Phelan tried to turn away as Jack's mech tumbled to the ground, but he could not tear his eyes from the display. The mech's leg stumps slammed into the ground first, scoring deep furrows in the planet's surface. The sudden stop reversed the mech's rotation and smashed it face-first against the rusty hillock. Armor flew whirling in uneven clumps. Then the blackjack's domed head sheared off. It bounced halfway up the hill as the torso flipped and twisted awkwardly. The blackjack's body ripped itself apart as the autocannon ammo nestled in its breast detonated. Hot, salty tears poured down Phelan's cheeks as he cut his mech to the right. The first mech's twin lasers burned parallel tracks through where he had just been, reducing iron ore to glowing slag. There, damn it, you missed. You're not invincible. Something inside his head screamed at him that what he was doing was suicidal, but another part of him didn't care. Yet his awareness of the hideous threat posed by these unidentifiable mechs made him key a dump of his battle recorder's data and create a simultaneous battle feed to a wide-beam broadcast. He pumped extra power into the broadcast, draining it away from the wolfhound's rear-arc medium laser. Trey, Cat, anybody! I hope like hell this makes it out. Get clear. This data is more important than getting killed to avenge either one of us. Phelan dipped the wolfhound's left shoulder as if preparing to cut back that way, then broke even more sharply to the right. The mech he faced again sent two laser blasts sizzling through the space he should have occupied. Your average is falling, friend, and your heat has to be building up. 
Phelan glanced at his own heat levels and found them hovering on the edge of the yellow cautionary zone. You can dish it out with all those weapons, but that means you can't be carrying much armor. Now let's see if you can take as good as you give. The computer's range indicator put Phelan at 350 meters and closing fast. Phelan planted the wolfhound's right foot and cut to the left. Then, only two steps later, planted the left and dashed straight in at his target. The other pilot, determined not to miss a third time, had spread his mech's arms apart to have one weapon available no matter where Phelan moved, as long as it wasn't straight up the middle. Laughing triumphantly as the mech's large lasers flashed past on either side, Phelan dropped his targeting sight straight on the mech's jutting beak. He stabbed his thumb down on the large laser's firing stud and tightened his fingers on the buttons for the medium lasers. Got you. The large laser hammered into the enemy mech's left side. It peeled back armor, and for a moment, Phelan hoped against hope it had pierced the mech's armored hide. As his medium lasers stitched the mech's left arm and leg with stinging ruby bolts, his heart began to sink. All I'm getting is armor, but that's impossible. Any mech hauling that much of an arsenal should have paper-thin armor. It's crazy. The gray mech's two gunnery pods converged and focused on the wolfhound. The dual large lasers vaporized all the armor on the wolfhound's broad chest the second they touched it. Phelan's computer barely had time to update the diagnostic display on the secondary monitor when four medium lasers, two mounted beneath the larger lasers on the arms and one each on the sides of the mech's chest, impaled the Kelhound mech. Searing waves of heat swirled up through the wolfhound's cockpit as the lasers destroyed the magnetic shields controlling the mech's fusion reaction power plant. A rainbow of warning lights ignited the command console, and a warning siren began to wail. Reactor detonation inescapable, shouted the computer. Eject, eject. Phelan slapped his right hand on a large square button. He heard two explosions beneath him and felt them jolt up through his command couch and pound his insides into aching jelly. An invisible hand jammed him down into the couch and snapped his helmeted head back against the padded headrest. A roar filled the cockpit, drowning out the warning siren screams, and the wolfhound's escape module lifted free of the mech's doomed torso. Phelan jammed his right foot down against the pedals at the foot of his command couch. That boosted thrust through the control jet on the right side of the wolfhound's head, hurling the escape pod up and to the left. He pushed the burn for three seconds, then poured on the left thrust to get as much altitude as he could. Below, on the asteroid surface, the headless wolfhound lumbered forward. The fires burning in its chest silhouetted the mech skeleton. Then, a roiling ball of argent plasma freed itself from the engine casings and engulfed the wolfhound's torso. In a flash of blinding silver fire, it consumed the mech from the knees up and let the lower legs trip and pinwheel across the ochre plain. Phelan fought against the shockwave of the fusion engine's explosion, but it shook the wolfhound's head furiously and upended the muzzle. It also caused the escape pod to prematurely deploy its parafoil, which failed to expand properly in the thin atmosphere and became fouled as the pod slowly flipped up and over in a lazy imitation of the dying blackjack. Phelan pulled his feet off the thrusters and snapped the gyro stabilizers online with the press of a button. The asteroid's inhospitable surface filled his viewports as a massive spark arced across the command console. Controls flickered and monitors died in a puff of acrid white smoke. As thick as it was, the smoke could not obscure the vision of the asteroid as it grew larger and larger. 
Stabbing both feet down on the thrusters, Phelan threw his head back and braced for a collision. Hope it's just the monitors that shorted out, not the jets themselves. This better work. Phelan Kell never found out if his effort did succeed, for the escape pod's third bounce across the surface tossed him against his restraining belts and one of them parted. Slewed half out of the command couch, he could do nothing to help himself as the fourth bounce smashed his neurohelmet against the command console and blackness stole his sight.